You are listening to Changing Hearts, Changing Lives, a seminar given by Changing Lives Ministries. Paul Tripp is a counselor and faculty member with the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, as well as director of Changing Lives Ministries, a ministry of CCEF. Session 13. Personal ministry is not just about speaking the truth in love, but it's about helping people to apply those truths where they live every day. Oh, you got to know, change is hard. Often when I'm changing, nothing in my situation is changing. Nothing around me is changing. All the same temptations are there. All the same pressures are there. All the same suffering is there. Yet God is calling me to change. And people need us to stand alongside of them in moments of change. People need your love. They need your encouragement. They need your hope as they're going through the hard process of change. What is, what is the message here? Boy, it's a wonderful message. It's actually, if you want a passage, it's in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Christ gives you everything you need for the hard work of change. What a wonderful message to give to people. Christ gives you everything you need for the hard work of change. The Bible says that Jesus gives me everything I need for life and godliness, not just eternal life, but for godliness, a God-pleasing life in the here and now. And so as we believe that, we call people to change. Now there are some steps to this. First is this. If you're going to help a person change, you need to clarify your agenda. What does that mean? An agenda is a plan for accomplishing a goal. This is very simple. You can't give directions to a person if you don't know where you're going. You can't give directions to a person if you don't know where you're going. And so you need to take time to think about how to lead this person to where God wants them to be. And there are three questions that you can ask. First, what does the Bible say about the information that I've gathered? Brothers and sisters, don't just try to think off the top of your head. Ask yourself the question. What does God say about the information that I've heard? If you can't ask that question, go to your small group leader or go to a mature Christian friend or go to an elder or go to a pastor. Get help. Make sure that you're thinking biblically about what you've heard. Let me say this. Biblical personal ministry, biblical counseling is biblical because it's biblical. But if there's anything that the Church of Jesus Christ needs, it's people who are taking the time to learn how to think about life biblically. Isn't that right? And so now, because I have the Word of Christ dwelling in me richly, I'm able to give you direction. Push everything that you hear through the sieve of the Word of God. Second, I ask the question, what are God's goals 
for change for this person in this situation. In the middle of this moment of life, where is God calling this person to change? Brothers and sisters, you don't help a person if you do that great big in general. It needs to be specific and concrete. Listen, I'm not called to love wife as Christ loved the church. I'm called to love Luella. And if you know our relationship, you would know right away what that means. I'm married to a dear, sweet lady. She is... Nobody has been used of God in my life as much as Luella. I say all the time that our marriage works because Luella has character, and I am one. <laughs> uh, and, but we've always had this struggle. Well, it's really my struggle. Luella was raised in Cuba. And she has sort of that combination of a Latin and an island view of time. <laughs> she lives on a bit of a vibe. You know, she's on the mistaken notion that people are more important than time. And, and you know, in, in Cuba, one of the favorite words is manana. It means tomorrow. You know, if something doesn't happen today, someone says, manana. I was raised by a man who thought the sole litmus test of the value of a human being was punctuality. <laughs> You're on time, you can live. And so, this has been a tremendous struggle for me. Now, now, if you watch, if you ask questions, you get into the real knowledge of my relationship with Luella, you'll know right away one of the goals of change that God would work on for me is that he would make me a more patient man. And so, you've got to ask the question, what are God's goals for change for this person in this situation. But there's a third question. What are biblical methods for accomplishing God's goals for change? What are biblical methods for accomplishing God's goals for change? Look, If question two is the what does God want to change, question three is how will God change that? Will it be through a Bible study? Uh, will it be uh, some other way? How is God going to work that change in the person's life? You have to know where you're going in order to direct the other person. That leads us to the second thing. You want to clarify responsibility. Now, this illustration that you're going to see uh, is very, very simple, and I think once you get on board with it, will be very helpful for you. These two circles are in everybody's life. The middle circle is a circle of responsibility. Now, here's what this is. These are things that God has called me to do that I can't give to anyone else. Circle of responsibility. Things that God has called me to do that I cannot give to anybody else. 
Now, the only proper response to those things is, is to carefully obey. The outside circle is a circle of concern. Inside circle, circle responsibility, things that God has called me to do that I can't give to anyone else. Outside circle, circle of concern, are things that are important to me, but not my responsibility or within my ability to do or produce. Inside circle, my responsibility. Things God has called me to, I can't give those to anyone else. Outside circle, circle of concern, things that are important to me, but not my ability to do or produce. Now, it's very important to clarify those because typically people will get these two circles mixed up. Now, notice. Here's the irresponsible person. What's happened? There's almost nothing in his circle. <laughs> Everything's in God's circle. I had a person say to me, I'm just waiting till God reconciles that relationship. What's wrong with that? God says, you go and you'll be reconciled to your brother. I'm waiting for God to do something he's called me to do. These are God's vacationers. God's home during the work and you've taken a vacation. But those aren't the only people who are confused. There are, there are people who are the overly responsible. What's happening there? There's almost nothing in, on God's list. It's all mine. I'm trying to do the work of God. Now, the irresponsible and the overly responsible people experience the same thing. They're frustrated. They're confused. They're angry. They're fearful. They're discouraged. Why? Because they've mixed up this issue of responsibility. One of the sweetest things you can do for people is clarify the issue of responsibility. These are the things that God has called you to do and He'll give you the ability to do them. And these are the things that you can entrust to Him, His faithfulness and His power. I had a father who confused this. He stood over his son in my office and he said, if it's the last thing I ever do, I'll get you to respect me. Now, do you think the son was sitting there thinking, well, this is helpful. <laughs> I, I just want to respect you now more than I ever have. You see, is respect a good thing? Is it? Is it something that father can produce? No. And when he steps in and tries to do God's job, he actually produces the opposite. Romans 12 is a great example of that. God says, calls us to overcome evil with good. And then he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Leave room for God's wrath. You know what that last phrase means? Get out of my way and let me do my job. You see, when evil is done to me, it's God's job to mete out vengeance. And when I try to do that, I get in his way. God says, you do what is good, and you entrust vengeance into my hands. But there are a lot of people who are also just plain confused. Probably most of us in this room, 
If we're not in this moment, we've been in this moment. You just don't know what's your responsibility and what's not. Uh, you got a 21-year-old son or daughter and you're not, you're not sure whether you're a parent now or not. You don't know whether you're given advice or you're given commands. And you don't know how much you're supposed to press and how much you're supposed to entrust that person to God. Boy, it's really helpful to have somebody who will come alongside you and to begin to clarify those things for you. And sometimes you're so close to the situation that you can't see clearly and you need someone to come and say, look, dear one, this is your responsibility and you can just give all of this to the Lord. And remember, he's faithful, he's powerful, he's wise, he's loving, he's gracious. Entrust that to him. Don't try to do God's job. And don't expect God to do for you what he's called you to do. He will empower you to do it, but he calls you to do it. There's a third thing that I want to do is I want to establish accountability. Establish accountability. Now this is another word that I think gets a bad name. We think of accountability and we think of being a private detective. We, we think of being somebody's personal Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to follow you around and make sure you do what is right. Let me give you a principle. Accountability is not for the person who's still rebellious and running. Accountability is not for the person who's still rebellious and running. That person needs confrontation. Let me say that again. Accountability is not for the person who is yet rebellious and still running. That person doesn't need accountability. That person needs further rebuke and further confrontation. Accountability is for the person who is committed to change. And what accountability does is offer that daily assistance and that daily watching and that daily encouragement. First of all, accountability provides structure. I have all these new things that, that I'm supposed to do and I just don't know what to do when. And, and accountability says, do this first and this next. Somebody lays it out in orderly steps for me. Somebody gives me a sense of priorities as I'm seeking to change. Accountability provides structure and order to the process of change. Accountability provides guidance. That's the how-to. Maybe Maybe a man has never had a really good conversation with his wife that reached levels of understanding. Maybe I need even to role play that conversation with him. Teach him how to get through these moments, how to talk in a way that's productive and right. Accountability provides guidance. Accountability provides assistance. Sometimes, literally, I can't do this thing by myself. I need your help. Maybe, maybe it's a very significant conversation, and I'll say, listen, I'll go with you. I'll help you. 
as you go, confess to your boss, I'll stand there with you. Uh, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Accountability provides encouragement. Listen, change is hard. It will beat away at the borders of your faith. Maybe you, you make confession. You're hoping a person will forgive you and they're angry they're angrier at you than they've ever been. And people get discouraged. And they need the hope of the gospel once again. They need to see their Lord once again. They need to hear His promises once again. They need to see His power once again. Accountability provides encouragement. And then accountability provides warning. We always want to hold uh, for people the danger of turning back. We want them to help them to see what it really means to go back to Egypt. We want to remind them of, of previous slavery, of the old deceit, of the dangers of the past so that they will not be tempted to turn back. You see, accountability is sweet and personal love. It's sweet and personal love. Where do you need structure? Where do you need a practical how-to guidance? Where do you need my help? Where do you need to be encouraged? Where are those moments where you need to be lovingly warmed, warned so that you continue on the way that God is calling you to? And then finally, as I'm helping a person apply change to everyday life, I want to instill again their identity in Christ. You know what happens when you're going through trouble? You begin to take a problem-based versus a grace-based identity. Listen, there are people who take divorce as an identity. They take depression as an identity. They take fear as an identity. And I don't want, in saying this, to diminish the power of anybody's experience. I think you know that I wouldn't do that. But brothers and sisters, divorce is an experience. It's not an identity. And if you begin to take it as your identity, it will radically change the way you live. You know what your identity is? You are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are part of the ruling family of the universe. You have all the rights and privileges of being one of His children. In the glory of His grace, He will supply to you everything you need to do what He's called for you to do. That's your identity. But you see, as the mountains of my problems loom before me, it's very easy to forget who I am, and I begin to take those problems on as my identity, and I forget who I am. And when you forget who you are, it changes the way you live. And so as we're calling people to the hard work of change, we need 
to call them through identity in Christ. I've listed here for you four passages that I love, wonderful passages to, for uh, Bible study. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9, which I've referred to a couple times, declares that in Christ we have everything we need for life and godliness. What is the lie of the enemy to anybody who wants to change? Here's the lie. You don't have enough. You don't have what it takes. You'll never pull it off. And so I need to again and again encourage a person that in Christ they find everything they need. What's Romans 6 message? That I have been united to Christ. Listen to this. When Christ died, I died. When Christ rose, I rose to a newness of life. And then Paul says, Therefore sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, you're under grace. Listen. The gospel says that because of the work of Jesus Christ, I do not have to be mastered by anything but King Christ. Praise Him. When Jesus died, He just not, did not purchase savability. Jesus took our names to the cross. His death was for you. His death brought your death. His life brought your life. His resurrection is for you. And so the power of sin has been broken in Christ. Boy, I need to know that. Because you know, you, there are sins that you struggle with. There are sins that seem huge and powerful like it's impossible to ever break. And very often we get, we get discouraged and we get cynical and we give up. We need to realize that we've been united with Christ in His life, death, and resurrection. Philippians 2, 1 through 12 is a wonderful passage. It has an if-then construction. If you have experienced these things from Christ, then live this way. If you've been united with Christ, if you have any encouragement from His love, if you have experienced His tenderness and compassion, then live this way. And then finally, in the epistle of the Ephesians, there is this phrase repeated again and again. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. And to begin reading those passages, you realize what it means to be part of Christ, to be united to Him, to be His children. Oh, can I say it this way? We have to be zealous to instill in one another this identity. We have to caress people's new nature with the truth of the gospel. Now I want you to do a favor for me and I want you just to close your notes. Some of you will find this very difficult because you want to write notes to the very last minute or you'll feel cheated. <laughs> and some of you will be writing on your hands, your pants, the bottom of your shoes. But I, I, I would like to have eye contact with you. Uh, perhaps you're sitting 
at the end of this study and you're thinking, oh boy, if this what it, if this what it means to be an instrument in God's hands, I'm going to be hurting people. <laughs> I am just overwhelmed. Love do, know, speak, who, do, row, new, heat, thorns, bushes, maps, circles. <laughs> and so I want to speak to that. Think about, think about how utterly simple what you've heard is. Simple message. God wants your heart. Quit looking at your situation. Quit looking at your other people. Begin to examine your heart. And if you do that in the light of the Word of God, God will show you your heart. Second message. God has called you to be an instrument in His hands. What does that mean? Go love people. Love them in a way that is patient and kind, that enters their world, that incarnates Christ's love, that stands with them in suffering. Know people. Care enough to get to really know people. Identify those moments when it's time to speak the truth and be God's instrument of seeing and repentance. Help people bear the burden of change. Love, no, speak, do. Listen, this isn't some mysterious technological counseling system. You know what it, all it is? It's a biblical call to friendship. It's saying, won't you respond to people the way Jesus has responded to you? Love them. Know them. Speak truth to them and help them bear the burden of change. I believe with all of my heart that's what brings me to stand in front of you, that there's no person in this room who is not capable of these things. And I believe that your Messiah inhabits your ministry. His name is Emmanuel. And where you go, he goes. And he will give power to what you do. This final picture, I think, will help. What is God doing? God is in the business of painting His grace on the canvas of human souls. There'll be a day when that canvas is complete. It will be a canvas of souls from every culture, every nation, every language group, male and female, boys and girls, of every period in history. We will look at the canvas of God's grace and it will be a piece of artwork so beautiful we won't be able to do anything but worship. The Bible says that worship will be like the sounds of mighty rushing water, like standing next to Niagara where you can't even talk because the rapids are so loud. That noise will just scream as we glory in the beauty of God's canvas. Now hear this truth. You are God's brushes. God will dip you into the palette of His grace 
and through you paint his grace on the canvas of another human soul. Now here's the question of this weekend. Here's the question of this series of lessons. Are you a soft brush in the hands of the Redeemer? Did you ever try to paint with a hard brush? It won't pick up the paint. It scratches the very surface that it was meant to make beautiful. I know that there are hard brushes in this room. You don't carry the pain of God's grace very well. Instead of making the surface of people's souls more beautiful, you scratch the very surface you've been called to make beautiful. And the first work of change that needs to take place is God needs to soften you. As we stand in glory, this is an amazing thing. And we can't do anything but worship. The noise of that worship will be astounding. A voice will speak. It's the voice of the Redeemer. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servants. Hear this. God will thank his brushes. Monet never did that. Rembrandt never did that. But the great and ultimate divine artist will look and thank the instruments that he held in his hands to do this work of grace, even though all the artistry belonged to his hands and belonged to his arms. Isn't that amazing? Again, I would say, what this weekend is about is not learning every minor detail. What this weekend is about is asking the question, how can I be that soft brush in the hands of Redeemer? Do I know the truth? Do I know how God changes people? Am I willing myself to be changed? Am I ready to love, to know, to speak, to do, so I can be part of this grand artistic work of redemption that the Lord is doing? I want to say this final thing to you. That's worth living for. That's worth getting up in the, moment, the morning for. That's worth dying for. That is life. God help us to be part of this grand thing that he is doing. For information about this resource and others like it, Call Resources for Changing Lives at 1-800-318-2186 or visit us on the web at www.ccef.org. A CDR Communications Production.